We're talking in this session about solitude and silence. Now, solitude and silence, you have notes in your packet. This article is for ancient wells, but it didn't get done until after the deadline. So this is part of the next edition of ancient wells. But you get it now. So uh, just know that it belongs there. Solitude and silence. So let's let's get back to Maureen's uh, question. What is God doing? He is transforming us to be like Jesus on the inside. What does that process look like? There are two mega trends in that process. And one mega trend is the trend of emptying. There must be, first of all, an emptying. Probably is a better word than that. But let's stick with that for now. Emptying. Why? Because when we get to the point of realizing we need to be transformed, when we get to that point, we have already been formed. We've already been formed. This dear little baby who's with us. What's his name? Lucas. Lucas, of course. Lucas and I took a nap together yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas is being formed. He's being formed. It's a bit scary, especially for his parents to think about. But he's being formed. Now, how old will he be when he realizes he needs to be transformed? Will he be 20? Will he be 30? Will he be 40? Will he be 16? Whenever he gets to that point, he will have been formed. He will have been formed in his thoughts, in his emotions. And that forming, that forming will be deeply within him. M much of it, most of it, he will be unaware of. <coughs> Now, just to give you one little, I don't want to get into renovation of the heart yet, so, but just to give you one little example of that. There's a woman who lives in the area that Hannah and I go for our times of solitude, southeastern Arizona. She was born in Germany. She's lived in this country 40 years. The minute she opens her mouth, I know that her mother language is German because of her pronunciation. When I go to Germany, the minute I open my mouth and speak in German, if the German knows English, they will answer me in English. Because <laughs> 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 they know. So, how do you get your tongue around a German R? <laughs> the answer is you're born there. And you learn you begin to learn it when you're Lucas's age. <laughs> so that's just an example of how we are formed, how we put on our clothes, how we drive a car, how we speak a language, how we think. 
This is all part of that form. The Christian tradition in which we grow up is a big part of that forming. It forms us in our thoughts and in our, in our symbols. So there is a process of emptying, being emptied. Now, of course, we're not emptied of all of that, but there has to be a process of being emptied or unformed so that we can be reformed. So in, in reality, transformation is reformation or renovation. Solitude. What do we mean by solitude? We mean being alone for extended periods of time. That's what we mean by solitude. <coughs> solitude is an entry point into both of these trends. Solitude is an entry point into the mm. emptying and also into the reformation Silence. What do we mean by silence? We mean withdrawing from noise, except perhaps the gentle sounds of nature. And, sol and silence completes solitude. Now, what would you say if I said to you, your soul craves solitude and silence. You may think, George, speak for yourself. We are surrounded by the message that you should be busy. It is a great illness. It is an illness of our time in epidemic proportions. And it is having a profoundly negative impact on the human soul. Busyness. We weren't made for this busyness. Noise. We are surrounded with noise. You ever go to a restaurant to talk to somebody? Are you aware that in the restaurants they are noisy? We are surrounded with noise. Sunday, I went down to the, I thought, let me go down to the hotel lobby and do my songs. Noise, noise, noise. Not that hotel lobby needs to be quiet enough. But we're, we're, we're surrounded. So our souls are crying out to be alone and to be quiet. Because it's when we're alone and quiet that we best spend time being unformed involves being brought to deep vulnerability. Most of what we need to hear and understand we can only hear from our Father. Now let me say that again. You and I need to hear foundational things. But those foundational things are in the area where we're very vulnerable. It is not easy to hear those things from another person. 
We can only hear those things in most cases from our father. And we can only hear them in a context where we are very sure, our soul is very, very sure of his love. That's a multi, multi-answer there. But let me just share with you one way that we hear God. One way that we hear God is through the keeping of a prayer journal. How does a prayer journal work? We come into the presence of God and we listen for the healing word that he is always willing to speak. We come into his presence and we listen. We listen. And when the sense comes that God is speaking, we write it down. Now, I keep a prayer journal. I don't write in it every day. Sometimes I don't write it in every week. Sometimes I, you know, it could go a month. I, so I don't, it's not that I have to write in every day. But there are times when something comes to me and I just sense this is my father speaking to me and I write it down. Then, another part, somebody was asking me yesterday about my own uh, practice of the uh, daily offices. I have my own unique way to do it. And one of the many options that I have is to go back and read through and pray through my prayer journal, things that I wrote months ago or even years ago. So I revisit what I've written. I discover some things not even the majority, but there are things that I read and I think, you know, that wasn't God. He wasn't saying that to me. I was just extrapolating. That wasn't, God began to speak and I just kept going after he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just, and I, it's clear to me, you know, it, it was, that's just me. But I would guess, you know, 75 or 80% that's in my prayer journal comes to me with power that God was speaking at me. And those words can be categorized in two broad categories. One category is awesome affirmation, the things that God has said to me. Things that God has said to me, just, they're just affirmation beyond anything I can imagine. I, I can hardly write it. Then there are words of correction. Not a condemnation. God's not saying to me, George, I'm really mad at you. God's not mad at me. And God's not mad at you. What do you think of that? God is not mad at you. He gave his son for you. He's not mad at you. He just wants the best for you. And for you to get the best, you've got to get out of some of the things you're into. So words of correction, words of correction. 
And boy, God's words of correction can be like a razor sharp knife. George, this, George, that, George, the other thing. They are words, and can I hear that from somebody else? If Hannah said it to me, I wouldn't be mad at her. I just wouldn't be paying full attention. <laughs> but to hear it from my father causes me to respond. So the process of being unformed or emptied is delicate and sensitive. And we get to the point, well, I got to the point in my 40s. I went to India when I was 26 years old. I went to India. And I wanted to spend the rest of my life in India. That was, that was so genuine and so real. Because I had a problem with arrogance and uh, personal ambition. And um, I wanted to go into the villages of India and lose my life there. That was very, very deep and very, very genuine. 26 years old. When I was 31 years old, I was the director of a ship with 140 people on it from 20 different countries with a budget of a couple million dollars a year visited 20 different ports a year and had 20 different programs that were discipleship and evangelistic. And I was the director. That means I was a company director. There was a captain. Of course, he was in charge of the navigation and ship. But he wasn't in charge of the Christian community. He wasn't in charge of the ministry. 31 years old. I was so far over my head. <laughs> I was so far. I mean, this was not. So in my 20s, I had convictions. I had convictions. And they were rooted in the Bible. And they were rooted in Christian ministry. And I had experienced more and more in Christian ministry. I got to my 40s. And it was as though I woke up one day. Actually, I had, you know, I'm really on a tangent. But it actually started earlier. It started when I was 36. So I'm going to tell you this story. Lord, help us. <laughs> 36 years old. We were praying for a second ship. And we had a group of people who had been trained on the first ship, so we got them together in Holland. God gave us this big house in Holland. Vassanar in Vassanar. So we had the people in Holland. And we told them, okay, this is what we want you to do. Every day, two hours of prayer. That was so hard. Engineers, they would they would rather work twenty four hours in the engine room than two hours in prayer. <laughs> so Hannah and I went and spent Christmas with them. This was nineteen seventy six. We spent Christmas in Barcelona. Well, Lagos was down in Porto, Portugal, and getting ready to sail to Africa. So we had to go down. Uh, we had to drive down the next day. 
Fox City Day. So we left Boston Eye early in the morning in a Volkswagen car and drove it to our OM headquarters in Brussels. And then got in a van, there was a van of people going down, so we were in the van. Well, it was a typical OM vehicle, it was a Volkswagen van, there was no heat. But there were Charlie clothes in there. Charlie clothes are clothes people give, you know, for the poor, starving missionaries. And these Charlie clothes were in the back, but they had oil on them. So here we are, we're driving, we get to France, and we need to take you know, we need to get gas. And so I remember getting out, we were riding in the back. And there weren't any seats in the back. I remember getting out of the, the van, and, uh, you know, I saw a car next to us. They were getting gas, too. And, you know, this car had seats in it. <laughs> 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 you know, so that kind of looks kind of good, those seats. <laughs>
this on tape. <laughs> God is calling us to the desert. God is calling us to the desert. Do you want the ancient anointings? Come to the desert. The anointings will come in the desert. Moses. Forty years Moses was formed in the court of Pharaoh. But God had other plans for Moses. God was calling Moses to be the deliverer of his people. But before Moses was ready for that, God needed to empty Moses <coughs> and reform Moses. And he took him for 40 years in the desert. And Moses, who was highly intelligent, mm -hmm. a great leader, and had lived at the height of power, what do you think went through his mind and heart for 40 years in the desert? He's out in the desert. He's thinking, it's all over for me. I'll never be able to do again whatever I want to do. God was forming him. And the day came when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses went over to see what was going on. And the voice out of the bush came. Moses, take off your shoes from off your feet the place where you stand is holy. Moses, I am sending you to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And here is Moses. It's just like Elijah. What's he got? He's in the desert. He's got a staff. He's got no money. He's got no army. He's got no social standing. He's got no religious standing. What's he got? All he's got is God. Always God. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in all of history. One of the greatest leaders of all of history. Formed in the desert. David. Formed in the desert. No, he's formed in the pasture lands. But you see, we're using the word desert as a symbol. So David's desert was the pasture lands. Night after night, day after day, week after week, month after month, out in the pasture, alone with the sheep, being formed by God. And the day came when on this side of the valley were all the armies of Israel, on this side of the valley the armies of the Philistines. And the Philistines sent out Goliath, challenging Israel. And Israel was frightened, and the king was frightened. And David said, look, when I was out in the pastures, I came to know God. And I even trusted God, and he delivered me from wild beasts. And the same God that I came to know in the pasture lands is the same God who will be with me to fight this Goliath who has defied the armies of the living God. Let me go. And Saul says, okay, you take my armor. Here's all this armor. And David said, look, I can't deal with all this armor. This is your armor. It's heavy. I don't need all that armor. All I need is God. Give me my slingshot, and I will go against Goliath in the name of Yahweh, who this giant has defied. He was formed in the desert, in the pasture lands. Mm -hmm. Elijah, formed in the desert. 
formed in solitude, formed in quiet. Whether it was sand dunes or not is not the important thing. But Elijah emerges out of quiet. John the Baptist. The word of God came to John in the desert. John the Baptist was out in the desert. He lived out in the desert. He was a wild man. People went out to the desert from Jerusalem, from all Judea. There was a spiritual awakening that took place through John the Baptist by people going out to him in the desert. He didn't have an air-conditioned studio that everybody could come to. They had to go out into the desert to get what he had, but what he had was so appealing, mm -hmm. people went. Mm -hmm. Jesus formed in quiet. We know almost very little about Jesus' formation until he begins his ministry. And in preparation for the most um, uh, uh, powerful temptation he would ever receive, 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Jesus was regular in Mark 1. Jesus got up a great while before day and went out into a solitary place to pray. So Jesus, before he chose his disciples, the whole spent the whole night in prayer to God, formed in the desert. Anthony of Egypt, formed in the desert. In his day, the Roman Empire was becoming increasingly, like the whole environment around us, increasingly hedonistic, increasingly violent. And Anthony said to himself, I'm not going to let this society form my soul. I'm going out into the desert and seek God. And there was a whole movement known as the Desert Fathers and Mothers who went out into the deserts of Egypt, Palestine, and Syria seeking God, wanting to be formed by God. This is a whole uh, birth of the monastic movement. But people kept going out. Anthony had to go deeper into the desert because people heard about him and kept going out there to get what he had. And this is the whole birth of the monastic movement. Now, trace that right on through. God is calling us to the desert. Brothers and sisters, go deep with God. We live in a day of crippling superficiality. It will cripple your soul. And you might be able to spend the rest of your life as a Christian, and you might end up in heaven. But you will be crippled in your life on this earth, and you will enter heaven, enter eternity, a midget, compared to what God wants to make you, if you let the, the prevailing things form who you are. Go to the desert. Go deep with God. This is central. There's nothing more important. Everything else revolves around this. Reschedule your life. Reorder your priorities. God is calling us to the desert. Why are solitude and silence so powerful? One, they introduce us to the high value of distancing ourselves from the activity and noise that war against our souls. The activity and the noise war against the soul. But we don't know anything different. Solitude and silence introduce us to the incredible value of being distanced from the busyness and the noise. Two, 
Solitude and silence usher us into the world of our own souls. Solitude and silence usher us into the world of our own souls. Now, these things are in your notes. So if you want to follow along, it's uh, here. Why are solitude and silence so important? It's the bottom of page three. They usher us into the world of our own souls. So here's the question. Why do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. Do you know why you do what you do? I told you yesterday about my anger. All of a sudden, the anger, boom! Next day, I'm with the Lord. Lord, I'm going to do it again. I can't hold it in. Why do I do it, Lord? I don't know for sure why I do it. I just know it happens. And I know I don't have control over it. And I know it's destructive. And I know it's not like you. And I know it's sin. But I don't have power over this. I don't have enough willpower to put a cap on this. It keeps breaking through. <coughs> and the first thing I did was take a day of solitude. I carved out a day. And I said, Lord, I'm going to be with you this day. Speak to me about my anger. I have a sin of anger. I do not have the willpower to cap it. But I do have the willpower to have a day of solitude. Mm. So I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Lord, speak to me. Show me the roots of this. Heal this. Change this. Transform this. You promised you would. Redeem this evil that's within you. <clears throat> One of the results of solitude is that you will... Okay. Mm. One result of solitude is that you will hear your father say, <laughs> And when you hear your father say, I love you, it will be in a way that nothing else, nothing else, nothing else can do. The second thing that will happen in solitude, you will know that you have a soul. <laughs> you know, your soul is an awesome thing. It's a lovely thing to have a relationship with. Your own soul. It's a lovely thing to have a relationship with. Why do you do the things that you do? Three, solitude and silence provide heightened opportunity to bathe in God's presence and hear his voice. Now, God can speak whenever he wants to. But God, I've found, you know, he doesn't waste words. God's wise. And God likes to speak to people who are listening. So I got another story. Some of you have heard this. Hannah and I go for times of solitude. And one time, I just took a chair out underneath a tree. I would spend the whole afternoon just sitting there, looking at the desert. And when I got up, you know, the afternoon was over and I got up, I knew that God had spoken to me. And I, but I didn't, I don't know when, and I didn't hear any voice, but I knew he spoke to me. This is what he said to me. He said, George, 
because I was at the, you know, I want to hear, you know, any network, you know, what are we going to do now? I want to hear, you know, how much time in Germany, how much time in the U.S., you know, what should we do about this? What about an apostolic center in Germany? I'm going, you know, with all these, i got to hear God on these things. This is what the Lord said. George, look at the desert. The desert has been here a long time. And it will be here after you are gone. George, I have been here longer than the desert. George, speak to you about Antioch Network in Germany and all these things, but right now let's just be together. My father wanted to be with me. God had created that desert wanted to be with me. Being with me was a blessing to him. So I said, Father, that sounds great to me. Let's just be together. And you tell me about all these other things whenever you want to. And maybe they're not all that important. Maybe I don't even need to know any of that. Just walk with you day by day. I, I guess that's enough. So solitude and silence create the opportunity for that kind of experience. Now, there's no guarantee if you go and sit on the edge of the desert and you don't have any idea that God speaks to you, don't get put off with God. <laughs> don't get put off with me. <laughs> That's the process. Um, solitude and silence heighten the opportunity to bathe in God's presence and hear his voice. I don't have time to talk to you about meditation, but I hope I do have some time this week to talk to you about meditation and the power of meditation. I'd like to talk to you about my experience with that. Four, solitude and silence foster inner clarity. So here's a picture. There's a spring in the forest where water is bubbling up from the ground. And there's a pool of water. And a traveler comes by and takes a stick and stirs up the water. So now the water is full of mud and twigs and leaves. And you can't see the bottom. So if you want to see the bottom, you have to wait. You have to wait for the mud and the leaves settle to the bottom. But when they do settle to the bottom, you can see the bottom. The water's become clear. That is the way it is with your soul. So when I enter solitude, I step into the time of solitude, I'm not yet in solitude. My soul is still the mud, the sticks, the leaves. So it takes time for my soul to come to clarity. 
Now this begins to get us into how to do this. They foster inner clarity. To have clarity into your own soul, to know your own soul, to know what's going on in your own soul. Five, they counter compulsivity. Busyness today is an illness of epidemic proportion. How do we come against compulsivity? Solitude and silence. We stop and we wait in the presence of God. And then lastly, they um, invite us into the healing silences of God. There's one more I want to say, but the, the, the healing silences of God. I don't know where that phrase came from. But it's in silence that we are healed. There's a roadrunner out there that just mm -hmm. landed. You have roadrunners in Texas? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> One more thing to say about solitude and silence. Solitude and silence are the answer to loneliness. <laughs> some people are frightened. I don't know about some, maybe many are frightened by solitude and silence because they don't know what to do. I mean, what would I do if I was just quiet? And we might be afraid of them because of loneliness. We're afraid of loneliness. But you see, it's in solitude that we come to experience that we're never alone. We're never alone. So the answer to loneliness is solitude. Now, I want to talk to you about how to have a day or longer of solitude. But we don't have time. <laughs> so we need to talk about that sometime later. So those are two things we've got to talk about, right? How to have an extended time of solitude and silence. And what was the other one? Meditation. Uh, we need to get those in. I don't know if this whole time thing with me is the ship, but I just like to be on time. I like to start on time. I like to end on time. I don't know what that is. Probably maybe a compulsivity, but I, I don't think so. I think a group. I think it's part of me blessing a group yes, by honoring the time. Yes, Thank you. Yes, You're welcome. You're welcome. So let's close in prayer. We'll, we'll meet for our. Um, Midday prayer at 11.30. Father, um, the things that we need to hear, we can really only hear from you. So we pray, speak to us. Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. when you speak, you are so gentle. You are so affirming. You don't beat us up and tell us how lousy we are or how much we failed. You come to us in gentleness and in grace, in affirmation, in clarity, in correction, 
that we need. Teach us your way. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will restore the ancient anointing. Teach us more about that process. Give us more understanding of how that process comes. We bless you. Entrust this time together to you now and the rest of this day. Thank you, our loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 15 minutes break. Boy, thank you, everybody, for being so punctual. It'd be silly if it wasn't for Amy. That's What um, we thought we would do in this session, I, I really appreciated our um, initial question and answer session this morning, and we want to continue to do that. Um, what we thought we would do in this session, rather than have a question and answer time, is to finish up our talk about solitude, and particularly talk about how do we have a day or longer in solitude, um, and then go into our subject, which is um, renovation of the heart. Um, and then we'll take a break. And then our plan is to um, have question and answer to be in the second session. So just to, just to uh, let you know our thoughts about that. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us already today with each other, with you, in your word. Um, interacting with one another. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we come afresh, Lord, this afternoon, and we ask that you will come and dwell among us and in us and with us. And we ask that you will speak to us. And we ask that you will give us um, understanding and insight. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We love you. We invite you. We wait for you. We invoke your presence. We ask that you will come and minister to us comfort, healing, insight, reassurance, according to our need, that you know better than we do. So we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and trust this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it would be helpful to talk about um, some of the specifics involved in a day of solitude. Now, when we say a day, let's talk about a day, but that can be uh, applied also to half a day or a longer period. Um, so how do we go about having a day of solitude? Suppose we decide and set aside a day to spend <coughs> that day in solitude. <coughs> Here are some thoughts. Um, the Bible suggests to us that a day begins at sundown. Um, 
the Sabbath began at sundown. Uh, even the account of creation, there was evening, there was morning the first day. So um, obviously we don't have to be compulsive about that. But it's a, it's a helpful concept. And it actually is a helpful concept concept for, for an orderly life to consider the time between after supper and going to bed as the time to plan the coming day. So a day of solitude begins when you get up in the morning. And planning for getting up in the morning begins with planning for going to bed at night. We wake up in solitude. So sleep is a gift of God that allows our soul and our body to come to rest. So we wake up in solitude. So if we're going to have a day of solitude, we want to capture that solitude with which we wake up and not disturb it or disturb it as little as possible. So part of planning a day of solitude is planning the place. Now, the place, what is a good place? Now, all of these things obviously have to be balanced. We don't live in a perfect world. But an ideal place for a day of solitude is a place that allows you to get up, have breakfast, and go into that place <coughs> with a minimum of disturbance. We want to choose a place where we feel comfortable. We need to like, enjoy to be there. It needs to be comfortable. It is enhanced by uh, symbols and images that attract us, that we like. Now that's a very personal thing, but it might have a cross. It might have pictures. It might have other objects that are, are appealing to us and draw us. Leanne Payne, in one of her writings, talks about the cup. She studied with the cup on her desk because the cup symbolized to her uh, Christ's presence in the communion cup. So it's a place that where we're comfortable. It's a place where that is arranged in a way that attracts us and draws us. It's a place that is protected as much as possible from noise because activity and noise disturb the process of solitude. So we want to um, avoid noise as much as possible. Obviously, we're not always in charge of that. Now, one thing that um, uh, might mitigate a little bit against what I've just said is there is a power in nature. When we go into nature, we obviously lose some control. What about the weather? What if it's is it going to rain? Is it cold? Is it hot? Obviously, those are um, factors. But nature is healing. And the reason nature is healing is that nature is not challenging 
the authority of its creator. Nature is flowing with, it is acknowledging, it is agreeing with the fact that God is God. And so nature is soothing and healing, a powerful place for solitude. And obviously a day of solitude can include more than one location. So nature, nature is a powerful thing. Hannah, Hannah relates to nature and solitude more than I do. And it's probably my lack. I probably need to learn more from her about that. But Hannah just comes alive in nature. And she sees things in nature that are astounding. So a day of solitude begins by going to bed at night and getting a good night's rest. So here is another really important thing about solitude, particularly extended solitude. The soul and the body are inter interrelated. Very strongly so. Now we're going to get into this when we get into re re renovation of the heart. What we do with our body affects our soul. And this has a, this has a large uh, effect on sin and the effects of sin. There are sinful things that we do with our body that nobody sees. So we think, well, you know, nobody saw it. Well, of course, God saw it. But also, what we've done with our body has affected our soul. And so, to have an effective time in solitude, the body needs to be rested. So the first thing to do in going into solitude is get a good night's sleep. Bring the body to rest. Give the body what it needs. You can't really have an effective time in solitude and you're dropping off to sleep. And this is particularly true of an extended time of solitude. Now, in, in, in talking about solitude, we need to be thinking daily. What is our daily practice of solitude? We need to be thinking weekly. What is that weekly practice? We need to be thinking monthly. Do we have a monthly practice? Quarterly, do we have a quarterly practice? Yearly, do we have a yearly practice? Now, I have a daily practice, a weekly practice, and a quarterly practice. I'll tell you about those. Um, again, all of our schedules are different. So we want to, we need to schedule solitude and in one way, alter our schedule to make way for solitude, and another way, schedule the solitude in a way that flows with our particular life circumstance. And any spiritual discipline, where it's hard to say it too often, no spiritual discipline brings any merit with God. Spiritual disciplines are like physical disciplines. You know, um, we've just finished, of course, the Tour de France. Well, you know, you can't, Lance Armstrong can't say, well, you know, actually I train more than the guy who won. It's not, it doesn't count how much you train, it counts who crossed the finish line first. And spiritual disciplines, you don't get any merit for how much you, you know, if you, if you spend more time in solitude than anybody else, but you're arrogant about it, you know, that doesn't, that all cancels it out. So this is not about, um, gaining merit, mm -hmm. or it's not about how much can I do, 
It's about how much does my soul need and how hungry am I for it. In the end, the thing that will get us into solitude is a hunger for what solitude brings to us. We have to grow in our capacity for that. So um, Hannah and I go away for a week of solitude once a quarter. Um, and the first thing that I do when we get to where we go, it's a monastery in southeastern Arizona. The first thing I do is sleep. So the first night is surely good for 12 hours. <laughs> and probably the second night is good for 10 to 12 hours. And gradually through the time, my body comes to a greater and greater experience of rest. So we're all different. We're at different ages in life. But um, give your body the rest that it needs so that the soul can be responsive to God. So we go to bed early. You decide what early means, but we go to bed early. We wake up early. And we, you decide what early means. And, and we, we seek to move from getting up into the day of solitude with minimum disturbance. Now, what do we do once we've woken up in a state of solitude, we're in the place where we're going to stay, have the solitude, what do we do? These two, um, these two movements need to take place, the emptying and then the filling. Again, I know that there are better words. The, the emptying, let's just use what the emptying and the filling. So, what I do, I always hesitate to say what I do because I don't want you copying what I do. But I'll just tell you what I do to just give some help, give you some handles to pull this up. In my particular circumstances, I get up. Hannah makes the most wonderful breakfast. She, I don't know, it's it's mystical. It's she goes to sprouts and she gets some of this and some of that and some of this grain and some of that grain. And she mixes it all together and she puts it in the refrigerator at night. And when I get up, my movement of solitude is from the bedroom to the kitchen, to the coffee machine, to the refrigerator, and boy, I'm in all heaven, as I think it's I've got that cereal, i got my coffee, and I go into my study to have my cereal and coffee, and I listen to the songs um, recorded in music. So I put the headphones on, and I listen to the songs while I'm having my breakfast. It's my first prayer time. And the second prayer time I have of the day, right after that, I finished my uh, cereal and got my second cup of coffee. I have a time of prayer where I just pray what my soul needs to pray. And the psalm, the, 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 the prayer that's in Ancient Wells, a prayer to begin the day, is a prayer that's come out of my own prayer over these past recent months. 
I don't know how long I'm going to be praying that prayer, but it's a prayer to the Father, it's a prayer to the Son, it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And, and so I will have a time of prayer like that. And then I might have a third time of prayer going through my uh, prayer journal, past entries, or um, the Psalms, or sometimes that prayer to begin the day takes much longer than I thought it would take because I just, my prayers go in different directions. That, that's how I begin each day. So I have a daily solitude, first thing in the morning. And, and I've gotten to the point now, you know, the, the, the question always comes up, well, how do you find time to do all this? By the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up every theme. I know I got about five balls in there. I realize that. You know, how do you find time for this? We make time for what we really want to do. Yes. And I'm to the point, for example, I just simply don't do breakfast with people. I mean, people want to get with me. They want to go out to breakfast. I don't do breakfast. Mm -hmm. Breakfast time is too, is too crucial. Doctor's appointments, you know, inevitably. I'll make a doctor's appointment, because i got about 10 doctors. <laughs> I got ear doctor, eye doctor, heart doctor, tooth doctor. <laughs> and they'll say, I got a 7.30 in the morning. And I say, what do you got in the afternoon? Oh, nothing in the afternoon until two or three weeks out. Okay, I'll take the afternoon appointment. So the mornings are too precious. Now, my day off, my day of quiet is Thursday. My colleagues know that and they respect that so for me Thursday once a week that's my weekly day of solitude Thursday now I know not everybody can do that I'm aware of that but know this whatever your circumstances are and whatever your life responsibilities are you are a human being and you can't change that and no matter what your job is that doesn't change it either and you are created for six days of work and one day of rest. And if you don't get that, or some way to get the equivalent, you're going to pay the price. And how many people do we see in the national and international media? Business people, politicians, entertainers, that completely crash and burn because the soul is so chaotic. The soul is chaotic. The soul has come unglued and people crash and burn publicly. So if we don't get what our soul needs in solitude, we will pay the price. And that's not to lay a legalism on you. I'm not saying a legalism on you. And there are weeks when I don't get this day either. You know, um, there are times when we fly into Germany on Thursday. I don't get any solitude. There are times, I mean, when we get back home, Mark Snelling, the president of AI Network, is going to be in town. You know, I probably am not going to get a quiet day this coming Thursday. Certainly this week, I'm not getting a quiet day on Thursday. <laughs> So that just makes sense. But 
then we have to make up for that. Now you see, Hannah and I are going for our week of solitude on August the 10th. That's already scheduled in. We've got our weeks of solitude scheduled for the through 2011 because our schedule revolves around those weeks of solitude. So if I go a couple weeks without my day, then all of a sudden I'm into my week. And that's, that, that's what helps compensate. You, you see what I'm saying? So this is not a legalism. I'm not one to in any way, shape, or form put a legalism on anybody, but I am warning you. Christian leaders are crashing and burning. Um, national politicians who claim to be Christians are crashing and burning. Are you following this in the international and the national news? Entertainers are crashing and burning. So choose what the soul needs. What the soul needs is to be with its creator. And to be with its creator takes us making decisions to create opportunities for that to happen. Okay, so now here comes the next part of the day of solitude. And this part is simply doing nothing. It's doing nothing. Now, doing nothing is a huge spiritual discipline. Everything within us fights against us. I remember a pastor not long ago. I was the overseer of a church. The overseer. There, there's a, how do I say it? a free church that was part of Antioch Network where I had a close relationship with a founding pastor. He asked me and one or two others to provide counsel and oversight for that church. So we would meet regularly with their leaders. And their associate pastor had been there for 20 years and he had plateaued. He needed to, it was time for him to transition and he was resisting it and there were all kinds of reasons he was resisting it. So, um, uh, he came to Phoenix to be with me, to be with us, and um, I wanted him to spend some time in solitude, and he was saying, yeah, he's going to do that. So he shows up, and he wants to discuss how he's going to do it. You know, he's got his, he's got his clipboard there, and he's, he's wanting to write, you know, and you can just tell he is really intensive about this time of solitude. He's afraid he's going to do it wrong. <laughs> Don't make a mistake. You know, I've come all the way from, in this case, you know, the East Coast. I've come all this way to go into solitude. I can't do it wrong. So, the, 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 how do you do solitude? The answer is do nothing. Do nothing. Learn to do nothing. For how long? You know, Jesus said, abide in me. Well, for how long? <laughs> well, you know, the whole concept doesn't have an ending. Remain in me. Remain in me. Um, typically, for me, on a day in a day of solitude, two hours of just doing nothing is a minimum. Mm -hmm. Often my soul needs longer. What are we trying to do? What are we doing? We're giving time for the mud and the leaves and the sticks to settle to the bottom that the soul might come to clarity. If we do nothing else, 
It is a discipline against the busyness. <laughs> the very fact that it's so hard for us to do nothing is indicative of the illness. The inability to do nothing is a great immaturity. So learn to do nothing. In the process of doing nothing, the emptying will be taking place. It is a form of fasting. Why would I fast from food? I'm meant for food. God created me to have food. God created the food for me to have. Why would I fast? Because fasting heightens our sensitivity to God. Because fasting reminds me that knowing God means I have to say no to the appetites of the flesh. Even if the appetites of the fresh flesh normally are good. I learn to say no to them because there's something more important. And so doing nothing is a form of fasting. It's fasting from all this activity that is um, demanding our attention and is dominating our lives. We do nothing. After we do nothing, after we learn, or as we learn to do nothing, I find that in a day of solitude, the time comes when I'm ready to receive. I'm ready for the, for the impartation. Somehow the clarity has come, and I'm ready for the impartation. And so that might take the role, or that probably will take the role of, of, of meditation. Meditating on the scripture and meditating on other things. I want to talk about that as another subject sometime, meditation. And then um, towards supper time, my day of solitude has come to an end. I have supper and then I spend the time from supper to go into bed planning the next day. So again, a day of solitude, if we can see that it goes from supper to supper, that 24-hour period, um, we prepare for it, we enter into it. It's these two movements of emptying, allowing the emptying to take place, and then allowing the receiving to take place. Now, in a week of solitude, and again, let me say this real quickly. You might say, or some people might say, gee, you know, a whole day. We'll start with an hour. Again, there's a daily practice. There's a weekly practice. So, And there's further, whether whatever it is for you, monthly, it might be yearly. You might say, George, I can't get a week every quarter. Well, what can you do every year? Um, so start small. Start short and, and, and let it grow. Um, but these are some of the principles of us being in solitude and the great benefit to our souls that come from it. So uh, maybe I do have a chance just real quick to say one or two things about meditation. Mm -hmm. I have a, can I ask a quick yes, you may. You may. Uh, so what does it look like? For you, I know it would be different for each of us to do nothing. Yeah, what does it look like to do nothing? 
It looks like sitting in a chair and just sitting there. It, it looks like... <laughs> 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 do, you, do you focus your thoughts on something specifically? Or do you just let your thoughts ramble? I let my thoughts ramble. Okay. Ah. I let my thoughts ramble. Because you see, after a while, your thoughts will let ramble less and less. Because the thoughts are going, the emotions are going, the thoughts are going, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Mm -hmm. By the way, one thing, if, if all this is happening, you start thinking about all the things you need to get done, mm -hmm. have a piece of paper with you and just write it down. Mm -hmm. I gotta remember to go to the grocery store, I gotta remember to get the oil change, write it down. That way you've captured it, you're not worrying about it. So what you're doing is allowing your mind to come to peace allowing your being to come to peace, allowing the water to settle, allowing the soul to become clear. So I told you about that time I put the chair and just sat there and looked at the desert. I wasn't trying to center prayer. I mean, all in solitude, we do not bring work. By the way, it's another thing that's really important. This is, okay, get this. <laughs> Turn off the cell phone. Mm -hmm. Turn off the internet. Mm -hmm. Turn off the email. If you're answering your phone, you're not in solitude. If you're doing email, you're not in solitude. If you're looking at the internet, you're not in solitude, even if it's good stuff. The soul comes at rest. You say, well, look, i got to get this call. Turn it off. You've got an answering machine. It'll pick it up. Answering machine, I date myself, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a voicemail. It will pick it up. The email, you're not, you're not available. You know, life is, there's certain times in life we're not available. When we're with God, we're not available. This is not available. This is time we've set aside to be with God. And we're not available. Your emergency, your lack of planning is not my emergency. So if you've got some... So what it means is me taking my... What it means is me taking my chair and sitting under a tree and looking at the desert and just sitting there and looking at the desert. Do you ever walk? Yes. Now, can that, okay, so th this is good. We need to interact with <laughs> Yes, walking can be very good. He, here again, when Hannah and I go to for our week, uh, she loves to go to the chapel. There's a chapel in this monastery. She, she spent hours in the chapel. The chapel is not my thing. I, it's a lovely chapel. I'm glad that Hannah likes it. I go with her to make sure there's no scorpions or snakes there in town. <laughs> Julia was there one time. She had what did you have? Scorpions in your room, didn't you? Yeah. That disturbed her uh, solitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was not in solitude. She was not in solitude. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, uh, Jolene, isn't it? What, what it looks like is simply sitting there and being. 
The emphasis is be. Here I am. Father, I want to be with you. Here I am. I'm letting myself relax. I'm letting myself just be. If I fall off and nap, that's okay. <laughs> so it's the discipline and the joy of just being. Now here's where we begin to get in touch with our souls. Because in all the busyness and noise, we're not in touch with our souls. And that means we're not in touch with the question, why do I do what I do? Why am I doing this? I don't know. Boom, I'm getting up tomorrow and I'm doing it again. I don't know for sure what happens. What are the questions you have? Because this is good, yeah. So when we turn off all the noise out here, uh, what do we then do with all the noise that we begin to hear? Well, and that's why you've gone into solitude, to, 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 to allow that noise to begin to settle. Now, it might not settle all to begin with. So that leads us into the prayer, Father, what is going on? Show me what is going on. So again, the... Coming to maturity in God involves a deep level of self-awareness. We lack that self-awareness because of all this busyness and noise. We grow into self-awareness through the processes that we're talking about this week. Not just this, but the whole processes. So the process of becoming like Christ is a process of growing deep awareness. Hannah. Um, I think, um, for me, it's really, um, the emphasis, like you've said, is being alone with God. Um, I think there's a lot of scariness about, um, not doing anything and being alone. And I think it takes a lot of courage to do it, uh, and it means that you get to know God as um, being very good, you know. There may be areas where we're not really, we have some fear of God. And uh, somehow it's, it's, we have to go through the painful process uh, in order to reach that. It's not always easy at the beginning, so. Sometimes the beginning, the, the busy, busyness of our minds is the beginning of prayer. You know, it's the things that are most heavy on our, on our hearts. Yeah. Good. Okay, so here is a reflection. If we're, if we're going to do nothing, and all of a sudden our mind is filled with things, this can be the beginning of prayer, bringing these things to the Lord. Are there things the Lord wants us to intercede for? Do, do, does the Lord want us to ask him to give us revelation as to why these things are so much on you? So discerning the nature of these things. So that can be as when you say, I think that's right, that the beginning of, uh, one way to respond is in prayer. Sure. Yeah. And uh, in growing in self-awareness, um, is there a danger of becoming overly introspective and inward focused? Okay, great. Thank you. That, that leads me to say this. Obviously, there is a danger. 
And two dangers I'm thinking about right now. The first danger is in the unseen world, there are two major spheres. One is the sphere of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Angels, the Cloud of Witnesses. That's this side. Well, on this side is Lucifer and all of the angels who went with him. That's very, very real. Lucifer's great characteristic is not intelligence, it's deceit. And so if we are not mature and discerning, we go into that unseen area, and Lucifer dresses himself how? As an angel like an of angel light. of light. And so using Christian terminology, it is possible to connect with this side. And that's why it's incredibly important that we remain in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are very, very careful because the minute we get over here, it will be destructive. Okay, so that's a danger. Be careful who you read. And be careful who you allow to teach you. Be sure that your teacher is Jesus. And anybody else who would teach you Make that teaching that that person is giving connect with the teaching that you're getting from Jesus. Now, that's the same answer to the danger of, of, of um, self-centeredness. We live in a day that is narcissistic. Uh, that means um, self-centeredness, profoundly so. And the self-centeredness has come right into the Christian world, hook, line, and sinker right across the board, and is a major contributor to the, um, sh to the, to the shallowness. So we, 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 we get churches that are trying to attract people. So the process of trying to attract people, who's at the center of that? Well, the people. We're trying to do things that excite people, entertain people, make people happy, and that results in the reinforcing of this self-centeredness, which is a major, a major force, a major cause of our wounding. So here I'm thinking about Leanne Payne again, who says to us that three main primary causes for our wounding, one is inability to accept ourselves. And the root of inability <laughs> to accept ourselves, or main expression of inability to accept ourselves, is comparing ourselves with other people. So other people are the focus. Mm -hmm. Then the inability to forgive and the inability to receive forgiveness. Not only give forgiveness, but receive forgiveness. So the answer to all of that is we center in God. We center in God. And this is where the centering prayer that we talked about comes in, and this is where the uh, daily offices come in. All of this 
is a framework to bring our attention back to God, attention back to God, attention back to God. So in solitude, although we want to let our mind rest, we want to make sure that our focus continues to be on God. There, John Mike. I guess years ago I was like on this track. I thought God was really calling me into solitude. That was a new thing, and I experienced. <coughs> Lots of what you're talking about, just the joy of like realizing I could just be with God and have to do anything or pray and that He was with me and loved me and it just really brought me to deeper prayer. But there came a time where all this ugly stuff in me started coming to the surface resentment towards God, anger, all kinds of things. And it like really scared me and it was so tormentingly uncomfortable that I just kind of abandoned it and ran away from that or something. Mm -hmm. What would you say to do with that? I mean, you know, I don't think that was the enemy. I think that was God allowing some things to surface, but I was too afraid to be before the Lord with those things and feel like I could be accepted, you know, with all this mess. Wonderful. And so I thank you for that, John, because that leads us into the next thing we want to do. So, okay. That's why... What we're doing this week must be seen as a totality. What is the totality of this week about? It is about the formation of the Spirit in the likeness of Christ in preparation for ministry. So the role of solitude and silence must be part of that. Not something we do for its own sake. So, when this starts happening, we can actually rejoice because we can say, Lord, you are now bringing up the things that are in my soul that I didn't even know was there. Okay, lead me, Holy Spirit, to know how to address those. Not, and this reminds me of a couple of discussions we've had, not, Holy Spirit, take these away. But Holy Spirit, lead me to know what decisions I need to make in order to address these because I am responsible for what's inside me. And I come away from that responsibility uh, by obedience. So lead me, show me, what am I to do with this? And so... Everything that we're talking about here applies to that. But let